0: Hi, hello, it's Vin. Thank you so much for listening to The Vin and Ali Show. We've created something that we're really excited about and we wanna share it with you. It's called Recalibrate. It's a 12-step process that helps you create more clarity and more alignment in your life. It's the exact approach that both Ali and I have been using to live happier lives and to achieve all of our wildest dreams in the last seven years. It's been crazy. Being one of our loyal listeners, we wanted to share a special something with you. Visit recalibrate.online forward slash Vin Ali to access the course for 70% off. I hope you will check it out. Anyway, let's dive into this episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Vin and Ali show. Today, we're going to be reviewing the book by Naval Ravikant. So, Ali, can you tell us a bit about Naval before we dive into this book?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um so Naval Ravikant, he's an investor. He's part of the Silicon Valley crew. Uh, I first came across him through a Tim Ferriss podcast. Uh, it became, I think, one of Tim Ferriss' biggest episodes, the most downloaded episodes. And I think Naval just in general is just a really great thinker. So he's the founder and CEO of a company called AngelList, which helps angel investors invest in companies. I think he's been an early investor in a lot of companies like Twitter and Uber and Airbnb, Facebook, all the big players over the years. And yeah, really excited for for this book to jump into it, to explore the way that he looks at the world, looks at life
0: and looks at business as well. I think one of the reasons why I really like him is because he's that rare combination of successful and happy. Well, he seems very happy from when he does podcasts. And I think that's something I I really feel drawn to is people who are successful and they're also happy. Whereas I think a lot of, a lot of the things I see on social media are often people who seem very successful, but I, I don't quite see happiness in their eyes. You know, they, they seem to be trapped in the money game or the status game, as opposed to Naval, who I feel like he doesn't play in any of those games. He kind of he's been able to not play games anymore and live life on his his own kind of terms, which is, I find really inspiring. Yeah, for sure. I think you're right. I think you've hit it on the head there. It's
1: And we, we're always looking for thought leaders and people that are doing things a little bit differently. And I think there's there's some that resonate with you. There's some that resonate with me. And one of the things that we're always, I think, jointly trying to find are people that have, call it balance or... Well, groundedness, it's really easy to find people that are really successful with talking marks just because they've made lots of money or they're amazing at sports or whatever their field is. But I think the harder bit is finding people that actually seem happy and that's probably the more rarer commodity. So I think that's a really cool theme for us to explore in this one is just the theme of happiness. Yeah, and
0: yeah, definitely. I mean, before we dive into happiness, I mean, we've already started talking about the games we play, right? Well, one of the... One of the points that Naval talks about in the book is uh, he, he talks about the idea of first we play the school game, right? And, and then after that, we, we play the social game. And that may be a game we play in the school game. But then after that, we play the money game. And then we play the status game. And if we dive a little bit deeper, you know, the social game at school is who's the coolest kid? Who's the cool smartest kid? Who's kid? the kid? Yeah. Who's the smartest kid? He's and the then once sport. we kind of finish, yeah. And then when we finish school, we very quickly all get into the money game that's when we're trying to make as much money as we can. Oh, I'm going to move into this job because it pays me an extra $10,000. Oh, I'll jump to this job because it gives me an extra Mm $2,500. And I feel like it's very easy to get stuck in the money game. And then some after that move to the status game. And then that's about buying material things that make me look better than you. And then, you know, it's just... Do do you have a sense of which game you're currently stuck in? Well, I just love
1: at the macro level, the concept of treating life as a game. It's something that (laughs) I'm into and I think that it's a way to detach your ego or yourself from certain games because the reality is is the world's so uncertain and there's so many different variables that we're always looking to feel like we're controlling what's going on in our lives, but the reality is we're spinning around on uh, a planet <laughs> through a universe. <laughs> so so the only way that I could conceptualize it is that the whole thing is a little bit of a game. You know, whether it's the parenting game, the business game, the even in relationships, like there's all different rules. And and I think people mm. sometimes are like, oh well, if you're treating the whole thing like a game, you're not taking it too seriously, but I disagree with that. I think you could still treat aspects of life as a game, but still really treat it seriously. But when you look at it like a game, there's levels and you can maybe add a little bit more fun to it. You can try different moves and tactics. And when it doesn't work out that well, you can just be like, all right, well, it's time to reset. Let's play again. Uh, we're still alive. Treat it like Mario.
0: You see you, you see a positive spin to the whole game scenario, right? Because I know every, every time you talk about life, it's like, oh, I've leveled up or I've, I've hacked this or I've, you know, <laughs> Well, what worries for me when I no. Yeah, I died again. I'm back alive again, right? <laughs> when you, you eat like there's no there's 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 no end, right? You can just eat a pack of the Tim Tams, no worries, Ali. Yeah, But, no.
1: but to me, when
0: off. I read about when I when I read about this section of games, to me it were I looked at it more as a, a negative thing, right? Mm. Because I feel like if I was to review myself, I think I am stuck in the money game and the status game. And I'm kind of just cycling within that. And I find it hard to escape that game. Whereas I I kind of read that component of the book as you want to free yourself of games. Mm. I, I don't want to play those games anymore because those games, they trap you into this world where you're continually competing. Yeah. And I think that brings me unhappiness because when I'm playing the social game, it's I buy this and I buy that because I want to socially be acknowledged for being better. And I really, when when I kind of dissect myself, it's like, yeah, well, I'm still kind of playing those games. And I am still playing the money game. I still want to make money. I still want to, you know, I, I, I don't know. Do you get to a point in your life where, that all becomes slightly monotonous. Maybe it becomes monotonous when I'm in my 40s or 50s, but right now I still feel the desire to play those games. I still want to play those games. I think he he actually speaks about a really
1: cool point related to that where it's really hard to link money, for example, because money is such a big part of all of our lives. It, Mm. It is... The, the currency that allows us to eat and have shelter and to get educated and healthcare. And it's pretty much the token of trust that people can exchange value with that's essentially globally accepted, right? So we are all playing the money game to some extent, regardless of how much we want to be detached to it or not. But he puts it in a really cool context where he says that money is, money won't buy you happiness, that's nearly impossible or very rare for money to buy us happiness. Whereas Mm. when you look at marketing and products and everything that we're sold, we're sold this promise that if you buy the new iPhone, you get the new Mercedes, you get the new bigger house, it's going to buy you happiness. And I think Mm. that's sort of where the trap lies. Whereas I think Naval speaks about it in the book and he says that money will buy you freedom so that you can have the peace of mind and the silence to then go and pursue your inner happiness. And you're in a piece. And I really like that concept that money isn't going to equate to happiness. And Mm. it's a game that we probably do have to play to an extent. But for us to have a level of freedom, I think for a lot of people, you either need to completely detach yourself from the material world, which is like becoming a monk or um, (laughs) going down that type of path. Or you have to potentially maybe get to a point of, say, financial or monetary freedom where you can then go and pursue other aspects of yourself. So that, that's my view on it. Where well, It's, yeah, it's the whole point doing. of,
0: he mentioned you decrease your lifestyle, right? You yeah. lower your lifestyle so that you you have a very low burn rate. That way you don't need to make as much money, which kind of means you can stop focusing and playing on the money game so much. But I mean, I like the point you said, right? Is that you know, making money doesn't equate to happiness. And like Naval says, it just kind of gets rid of all your money problems. And I think there are a lot of money problems that do stop people from being happy, which essentially means that there are a bunch of problems that if you have no money, tends to be a problem. Once you can get rid of that, it it becomes easier to be happy. For
1: sure. For sure. I I think looking at it even... And maybe there's a way conceptually to look at it where happiness is something that's externally driven, whereas money and, say, material things are required to operate in the external world, but both are important. I don't know if that's too abstract, but like what we always say, it's a little bit of both where Mm. if you're worried about paying your next mortgage payment or your electricity being cut off, it's got to be pretty hard to sit there and meditate and <laughs> journal and get into some zen zone, right? I think there's, there's a bit of conflict there, so maybe money or a level of it, depending on the country you live in or the culture that you're part of or the society that you're part of, is required because I think then the other part of that is comparison is the biggest thing that mm. happens with money. Like, and I remember when I graduated uni and you're going into your first job, but like every time it would always come up like, oh, well, what's your salary at that place? What do they pay? Yeah, like it's always a measurement stick or yeah. how much was your house? Like so money is always related to these things. Everything that we share on Instagram, like, like you look at Instagram, the whole thing is based on people taking photos at places that probably cost a with little stuff. bit of money. and Yeah, with yeah. stuff and things and experiences and all of it. So
0: really well, tricky- I think- well I mean I'm trying to think of why is the money game so why are so many people drawn to it? And I think you're right it's because of that fallacy, right? It's that when you have lots of this stuff that money can buy then you will be extremely happy. And I think another reason why it can be a trap is because university, high school, everything grooms us to be good at the money game. And when you're winning at a game, it becomes addictive, right? We, we enjoy games that we're able to win. And as, we're a, as we get better at it, we become more and more addicted to it. I think that's just an, another layer of addiction there. It's because you know if you're out there and you've currently got a job and you're making money, well, it means you're kind of winning at that money game. You're, 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 you're playing well at it. And that just, that's what keeps you going is when you can play, play it well. I think he has a quote in there and he says, you, you play stupid
1: games, you get stupid results. <laughs> and I don't know whether a money game is a stupid game, but I think there's aspects when you were saying it before, there's <laughs> games that we play in our lives. Like if I'm, if I'm trying to eat a whole box of Tim Tams, that's probably a stupid game and
0: the results going to be relatively <laughs> stupid. <laughs> But it'll be so enjoyable while you're doing it. I just did a, I just I showed one of my clients in uh, in Seattle last week. I filmed a video for them on how to do a Tim Tam slam, oh, and he he did it delicious. with his family. He's like, dude, this is the best thing I've ever done. And uh, yeah, and while I'm filming the video, I had to do a Tim Tam slam, and oh, dude, I did like four of them. It was so good. Oh, <laughs> you just you just broke Seattle. Once this spreads <laughs> and
1: everyone's slapping well, Tim Tams. Well, we, we should have well, like a video will... or a link to, to what we're talking yeah, about. definitely.
0: <laughs> no, I mean, if you don't know what a Tim Tam Slam is, just YouTube Tim Tam Slam and get yourself a box of Tim Tams and just do four of them and life will change as a result. <laughs>
1: but four's four's the upper limit. I think. I, yeah, think well, I think no I think two, two to more. three is sustainable. Like on a regular basis. <laughs> That's what I found no, just for, for that practical is not advice.
0: <laughs> that is not sustainable on a regular basis, dude. I think I think that was my lockdown just- diet you're talking about here. <laughs> <laughs> At least three steps to uh- great nutrition. <laughs> yeah. um, Intermittent look, fasting I- than tim Tams, yeah <laughs> <Then> tim
1: Tams. <laughs> a few push-ups just douse yourself and then a mcdonald's yeah. <laughs> yeah. then a cold shower
0: <laughs>
1: and then with off a- breathing <laughs> then a short walk <laughs> and then and then sleep <laughs> and rinse
0: and repeat baby
1: <laughs> and uh, somebody you was what, writing
0: that down <laughs> what would what would be really annoying is if you did all of that and then you're still just ripped that would be amazing. Oh, I, I am would ripped. hate you.
1: What are you talking about?
0: <laughs> but you're only ripped on the inside. On the outside, you're not. <laughs> well, one, one pack is I, good. I, I, oh. I, I, I'm going to bring us back to the idea, of the, well, the idea of games. Whether you're playing the Tim Tam game or the lying to yourself game like the game Ali is playing, yeah, yeah. I, I, I feel like I'm at a point in my life now where I am getting slightly sick of the games that I'm playing. And it's trying to understand that whether, and I I don't think it's about no longer playing games because I think you're right. There is an element of games are fun, but it's, if you play the same game for too long, it does get boring. And I don't think I'm at a point where I can just not play games anymore because I do acknowledge as well that I just don't like playing the current games. I want to play different games. Which which brings me to the point of what, our, uh, what Naval talks about. And he talks about wealth. You know, th- there's the idea of wealth and then there's the idea of you know, money and then status, right? And he talks about how most of the people are just accumulating more money. They're not accumulating more wealth. Because I think the more wealth you have, the more freedom you have then to not play games if you don't want to, or you can choose to play different games as opposed to just the money game or wealth game. But you need wealth first
1: yeah and and what's your view so when you when you're talking about money and wealth, how do you differentiate that?
0: Well, I think a lot of the times for me, money is just the accumulation of money and cash, right yeah whereas wealth is his definition is you own a part of a business and you're able to be making money while you sleep because you own equity in a business yeah now my yeah. B- before I think maybe even three, four years ago, when I used to think about wealth. I thought of it purely from in in terms of just having lots of money. Mm. I, I, that's what I thought wealth was. I thought wealth was just how much money you have in your bank account. Whereas learning about wealth and understanding that I can just put a thousand dollars into the stock market and I own a small percentage of a company—that's wealth, not actually having a bunch of cash. Whereas when I was growing up, wealth was all about how much money you had buried in your backyard. Right? It was just—it was all about. <laughs> How much cash you had, so it was such a big paradigm shift for me when I learned this about three, four years ago, and then started to, oh, okay, I should invest my money, then it actually is wealth so that that changed that helped me change the level of wealth I had in my life dramatically. yeah, well, I think a cool way of looking at it is
1: wealth is nearly assets that you can leverage, mm. right? whereas maybe money is things that we spend to get something, right? So if you're looking at wealth, it can probably come in different forms. Even nowadays if I'm looking at wealth, I'm looking at it a little bit more holistically. Like to me, I think knowledge, reading these books is a form of wealth. Every time you acquire mm-hmm. a new idea and you you can use it or utilize it in some way that compounds is wealth, uh, whether it's superannuation, it's property. There's so many different maybe wealth classes, like, we're, we're obviously mm. not financial advisors here, but it's something that, it's another thing that we don't really get taught about when we're kids is how, how to invest. And if you look at it, one of the real powerful things in investing is time, right? And it's compound interest. There's all those stories. If you had $50 put away from the age of five every month for 20 years or whatever, it turns into X number, which is for most people a house and probably. Money sorted. Whereas mm. that's just something that we don't really, or very few of us get to practice. You know, and we—I know you came from a migrant family. I came from a migrant family. Survival was our key when we were growing up. There was no concept. Well, for me personally, there was no concept of investing into things. And I think it's one yeah. of the things that we're so lucky living in Australia, where where we get superannuation, which is for the Americans, it's the equivalent to like a four hundred one k kind of thing, where mm. your employer puts money away for you. But I remember being 21, 22 and trying to negotiate that number down so <laughs> I could <laughs> spend more of that money. Now, when I look at it, even 10, 15 years into my career, my superannuation, which is the one thing that I literally had no idea what was happening, how it was being invested or even noticing that money going is one of my biggest assets. And it's crazy when you think about wealth and these assets like that, like what you said, investing if you'd put $1,000 into Microsoft in 1999, it mm. probably would have earned most people more money than their annual salary over five to 10 years. So it's interesting that there's all these games within a game. And, and I love Definitely. how you brought that up, like the difference between money, which is maybe the token side of it versus well. Well, it's just
0: an exchange of value, right? And, yeah. and, and for so long I was focusing on the exchange of value. I was just focusing on making more of that. Whereas, you know, I think when you really learn how to build wealth, that allows you to not play certain games. But I mean, not a lot of boring my... though, <laughs> is it? Like, well, it's I, so long I find term. It, well, I find it to be more exciting, and and maybe because it's from the way I look at it, right? It's yeah. because you know, you, you know, I want to have more kids as well. I currently have one, and to me, wealth is a way to be able to ensure that the future generations will have access to certain things, access to knowledge, access to opportunities, you know? So so to me, it's just, that's exciting for me because the fact that my dad had to, you know, my dad supporting me in my career meant that he almost had to put everything on the line. It, it wasn't easy for him to support me in the ventures that I was going on. Whereas, you know, and I felt so guilty when I was doing this. When I first went to, you know, when I was eighteen, I went to China to the Canton Fair to buy a container worth of electronics. So my dad investing in that little venture that I went on when I was eighteen—that was my my dad's life savings at the time. And to me, going and well, importing. <laughs> Yeah, but then again, it was, it was a dismal failure. But, but I, I want to give my, I mean, I, 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 the reason I bring that up is because that gave me so much self confidence. Being able to go at 18 as a young entrepreneur and be able to go to the Canton Fair, try all these different electronics. Yes, I'll buy some of that. I'll buy some of this. I'll buy some of that. And then go back and learn how to sell all those things. That made me into the person that I am today. Now, imagine my dad wasn't able to give me that experience. Maybe I wouldn't be the person that I am. And to me, it's not about the amount of money. It's just I want to be able to give my children in the future lots of different opportunities to try things like that if they want to. You know, The ability to try things and fall and then not die, I think, is a really important thing. It's that if if I couldn't come back from that, if I did that and then wasn't able to pay things back and then had to declare bankruptcy at a really young age, it may have affected me negatively. I don't know, maybe I'm creating too much of a cushion for my kids. But to me, one exciting part about wealth is that I can create those small experiences for my kids later. Oh, you want to try this little business? Let's try it. Let's do it. I think those are crazy cool experiences. Well, I think the reason why I said
1: wealth is maybe boring and it's not really the the correct term for it. It's Wealth is probably more around security, right? Yeah, it is. Or if you look at it, it's... Uh, you, you're building assets. It, it, when we look at, I know I've got so many friends who have grandparents that bought houses fifty, sixty years ago. That yeah. to them it would have been the equivalent of a failure, where <laughs> it was like, oh, we we just came to this country and we had to buy this house in this inner city suburb. You know, this suburb that was ten <laughs> minutes out of the city or the good areas. And back then, that was them getting their start. But time. Worked in their favor, in their favor, and kept growing out, and now those houses are worth millions of dollars. So that that whole concept of planting the seed and letting it grow over a period of time, it's it's important. So, so maybe it's like always, it's it's a bit of both. You need liquidity to some extent so that you can do things like cash out a little bit to give your kid money to go to China and buy a carton and container full of electronics. And then you need other things that maybe just sit there and just compound and keep growing over
0: time. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I I think that was such a value. Well, it's a valuable lesson because it shifted my focus as well. It shifted my focus from as I'm going through this journey, how can I accumulate more wealth, not just money. And even when I do business with my friends, it's like, well, it's not just the amount of money I get from this project. It's how can I actually have a uh, equity stake in what we're doing together? So it kind of changed my mindset a lot. I think it's a very valuable shift in mindset for a lot of people. Whereas otherwise it's very easy to get caught up just playing the money game and just collecting more and more and more money. It's about putting some of that money to work, right? Learning effective ways to put that money to work so that, so that over a long period of time, as that slow process takes its takes its time to 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 build that wealth for you. Yep. Yeah, and, and and I guess that's that that then is linked to the whole idea of compounding, right? Because he talks a lot about compounding, and I think everyone knows the idea of compounding interest and how that works and how that helps you build wealth over time. But what I found really interesting when he was talking about compounding was compounding in relationships. I never heard of anyone talk about the compounding interest that comes from relationships or the compounding benefits that come from relationships. And he, and he brought something up where he said, if, you're, if, you, if you've worked with someone for 10 years and you're still working with them, that's a pretty good sign that that's a really rare relationship. And that's so true because uh, one of my videographers that works for me, Craig Gibbons, I thought of him immediately. Craig's been working with me since 2011 or just even earlier than that. And he's still working with me today in 2021. So that's an example of a relationship that's been 10 years in the making. And I trust him completely. And I was talking to one of my my business partners where we have a business together. And he was telling me about, oh, I just brought this new person on. And I feel like I don't trust them inside the business. I don't trust them to be giving their all. And And then I realized the value of a compounding interest of good friendships and and good business partners, because my mate is worrying about one of his employees and that consumes so much of his time. He was telling me that that took up, you know, hours of his day, just worrying whether this person is, you know, working hard or they being slack. And he was thinking, oh, should I put cameras in? But then I don't want to start getting caught up in that. And I thought, when's the last time I worried about Craig not working hard? I haven't thought about that probably for like nine years. <laughs> and I just thought, wow, the the value of that is so powerful. And we've been able to – he's helped me build an incredible speaking career. We're currently in production to create an online course. Wow, how important are friendships and relationships – And isn't it amazing the compounding interest that comes from relationships, let alone just money in the bank or money in investments? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think Naval talks about it. He says
1: if you're going to do business or you're going to work with someone. I love that. Mm. I love just little mental models that he sprinkles all throughout this book. (laughs) Yeah. Which are really cool, cool touch points to always reflect on and look back on. But one of the big ones, and I know you resonate with this too, is, well- if I'm going to work with this person, will I be working with them for the rest of my life? And yeah, it's like a marriage. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great decision-making tool, even when you're hiring or building a team. Uh, there, there's another one. There's a few others like that as well, all around team building where I think there's one, which is if you run into this person at 2 a.m. in the morning, would you still want to have a drink with them? Um, there's another one that's uh, would, you, would you be happy for your kid? To work under that person. Ooh. Right? So, so That's you've got a good a couple one, of right? The, 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 there's a couple of really cool ones that when you come right to the end of the interview process and all the skills boxes and everything else are ticked, asking those two or three questions gives you that good intuitive feeling maybe of, all right, well, is this a person? And you're right. Like the, what you're talking about with Craig, and uh, I've been lucky to have a couple of relationships like that in my working career too, where they, they are really rare where you get to work with someone really closely for. A five, ten year period. And and they're not always the easiest relationships because then you're balancing things like the closeness that you build up over time. You're balancing changing environments, changing requirements, skill sets, family circumstances, dreams and goals evolving. Like there's all these other bits and pieces. But that's why I think there's a beauty in working relationships or any relationships that last mm. over. I think anything, whether it's a business, a relationship, a game that you're playing, a career that you're in, if you can get to 20 years,
0: it's, oh, there's crazy. something special
1: about that. Yeah, That's where I think you get the impact of compounding as well.
0: Whereas, well I mean, go ahead, Ali. Yeah, no, no. Was it? What well, were you saying? Well, the only, the only reason I was going to bring that up is, is simply because, you know, when we're talking about wealth, like you said, it, it's wealth of knowledge, it's wealth of finances, but then it's also wealth in friendships and wealth in good people that you get to be around. That's a form of wealth as well. And yep. you, you gain a lot from that. You gain the good vibes, the positivity from that. Whereas it's it's very easy. Again, if you don't invest your time into good friendships or, you know, finding good colleagues and 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 you don't invest in that area, I think you could have all the material wealth you want. But if you don't have that connection with the people around you, I don't know, life can life can feel quite empty, right? I think that's that's such an important part of wealth as well. So when you're looking at wealth in your life, you know, of course, build that material wealth, build the financial wealth. But don't forget about the, the compounding interest or the compounding benefits that come from having great relationships around you. I think that's definitely another form of wealth.
1: And I think this is, this is why when we go back to the concept of happiness, why happiness is such a difficult yardstick to attain. Because you, you, you're looking at all the things that have to be ticked, right? Essentially in, call it modern society. It's like, I need to love what I'm doing need to love who I'm doing it with. I need to have a great family life. I need to have an awesome partner to share that with. I need I need to be healthy and really fit. I've got to be in an awesome mindset because I'm meditating and waking up early in the morning. Like, there's a lot of boxes that you've got to yeah. tick here. <laughs> so it, it's interesting how sometimes now it can get overwhelming as well because, yeah, there's – and with all of the things that we've spoken about, there's a really cool positive side to it. But then there's, there can also be a really, you know, there's an opposite side to everything that's amazing. So, and then it's navigating through those things as well.
0: That's why it's so powerful if you're not playing any games at all. Because if you're not <laughs> playing the games, there's no check boxes that you have to check. Hey, I didn't meditate today. That's okay. Hey, I didn't it's journal okay. today. Or hey, I didn't do my cold shower today. Or hey, I didn't eat the right way today it's just i feel like when you're not plugged into those games then you don't feel bad when you're not playing right it's just yeah because you're right it can get overwhelming i remember watching a parody video someone sent me a parody video because i was (laughs) telling one of my mates about oh the you know the benefits of you know doing wim hof breathing and then he sent me this video that was just taking the piss out of people who do this stuff people who just you know yeah I, i i get up so early i woke up yesterday you know, and it's like it's all these just taking the piss on all the you know yeah. this new era of doing all these different hacks. Oh, I love it. <laughs> and I think uh, I think a before part you go, it is- uh,
1: before you continue that one, it just reminds me of a meme that I saw recently. And they're like, yeah, blah blah blah's guide to success. And it was like, yeah, wake up at six a.m., eat well, meditate, go for a run, go to the gym, work for three hours make sure you use dad's $50 million that he gave you wisely.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's so true. That's so true. It's Whereas, you know, my dad's key to success when he was younger was, you know, wake up at six, go to your first job at the factory, get home at one, have a quick nap, go to your second job from two to fucking nine o'clock, 10 o'clock at (laughs) night. Next day, rinse and repeat, you know, it's and eat whatever you bloody can that doesn't cost too much money. It's, I think it's when people come up with these are the steps for success or these are the things you should do if you want to become successful. I think what people don't realize is that they're writing it for themselves Mm -hmm. and the formula you just gave is for you. And that's how you found success. Whereas for other people, they have to find their own formula. So I think anytime I see anything like this, I just remember in my head these are some of the steps that can help me, but they may yeah. not be the right steps for me right now in my era of life. Whereas that you're right. That's the that's the steps for someone who's maybe they built a successful company already. And then they are Naval, people like Naval. Or they are the Tim Ferrisses of the world who can afford to do these things. Whereas just, you know, take it with a take it with a bit of salt, right? It's it's that, oh, they got the $50 million check. You just gotta remember, do what works for you. And I think that. The other thing is if some days you miss out on some of these steps, it's it's okay. You know, yeah, it's not for sure. It's not so bad, like, oh I'm gonna have the worst day now because I didn't do A, B, and C. Oh. Uh, and that's a trap that could happen.
1: Like even people I know so many people that exercise and if they miss their their workout yeah. or people that drink coffee, they miss their morning coffee, it's like, oh, just I can't turn on until I have my
0: morning coffee. Like, no, but that one's real. That one's real though. That, that, one's, that, real. That's a, <laughs> that one's real. Yeah, that one's so yeah, real. I've got mine right here. So it, it, without this, I wouldn't have been able to do this podcast.
1: <laughs> it's. But I think it, it goes to the other concept of attachment. It's really yeah. easy to get attached to anything. Yeah. Even things that are good for us. And when that attachment becomes unhealthy or it starts having an adverse effect, I think it's just, it's important to reset and be like, all right, well, because you can get into the habit of putting so much pressure on the things that you mm. do. It's like, oh, well, if I, if I work for six hours straight, I will get a good result. Whereas the world doesn't always operate like that. Or if I go for an hour and a half workout or a two hour workout today, I'm obviously going to get healthier, but yeah, you can also get injured. You could, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, there's so <laughs> many different variables in there. Like, And I think that's the thing is when we get too attached to an outcome uh, and it doesn't feel good anymore or it starts feeling stressful and it has the adverse effect, I think it's important just to
0: reflect on it and try something a little bit different too. Something you said that I think is really important. Don't just do things for the sake of doing them because everyone else is doing them. Do you feel good when you do it? I reckon you just got to check in with yourself. You know, for some people – they can't meditate. I'm sure there are some people out there in the world who don't like meditating and that's okay. It's just, do you benefit from it? I think that's important. You got to really check in with yourself because everyone's different, right? Everyone is different. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, the it, gym, <laughs> and yeah. that's
1: one that I hope one day that will change, but I can never close that off and be like, oh, I'm never going to be a gym person because I think then you're putting another limitation on yourself. Whereas I actually do believe there'll be a point in time where it'll be something that I'll enjoy or I'll want to try
0: a little bit more. I also don't like going to the gym. I don't like going to the gym. That's why I kind of built an environment in my own house. Right. And again, you don't need a lot. You just need some weights. You need like some mats so you don't damage the floors. All right. Like to me, I don't like going to the gym because. I I you don't know, like how long it takes for me to get there. And then once I get there, i got to go in. Then sometimes I've got to wait for the machine. Then there's other people there. And then I see a really buff dude. Then I hate myself. Then I look at myself in the mirror. And then I can see the buff dude in the back. And they're always grunting. And I'm like, why can't I be more like them? And I, I just don't like it. So I don't like going. So to me, it's just, it's better for me to have an environment that I have in my in my home. So I think it's about being creative enough to potentially Create a space for yourself, maybe. Maybe you can create a little bit of a space in your house. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Like well, that. I mean, that, 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 that topic is really very much linked to freedom, I think. Because it's the freedom to not – because you use the word detached a lot, whereas I find more connection to the word freedom. Yeah. And and Naval talks about a really cool concept where he, he talked about, you know, early in his career, he wanted to have lots of wealth so he could have the freedom to travel when he wanted, the freedom to buy whatever he wanted. So it's the freedom to, whereas he found he finds that in his life now he wants freedom from, you know, I, I want the freedom from my business. I, I don't want to be so attached to it. I want the freedom from anxiety. I want the freedom from material things. I found that really cool. I, I never looked at freedom as being a journey of freedom to to then freedom from. Yeah, I like that. Do you feel a bit of that in your life? Do you have experiences that relate to that? Yeah, for sure. I think. I think it's always it ends up being the second eventually. Yeah. Like, like are you even, there now? Are you there now, or are you still wanting freedom to do things? Or are you in the freedom from now? Because you talk a lot as if you're in the freedom from mindset now.
1: Well,
0: I think to an extent,
1: probably am now fortunate to be in a position where, yeah, like even if I look back at a lot of my goals from, say, five, six years ago, there was so much Mm. narrative around I want the freedom to, probably a lot more freedom to language because freedom's always been probably my number one value. Even when I read this book, uh, it's like, oh, the stuff you're writing about, Resonates so closely, and yeah, a lot of it was freedom. To it It was like, oh, I want the freedom to you know play golf. I want the freedom to work with people that I really enjoy working with. The freedom to uh, use my time in a way that where I get to manage my calendar and not have to go to you know meetings or whatever it was that I didn't want to go to. The freedom to to travel rather than having to travel for work and all of these things. And I think you know to an extent, a lot of those boxes or freedom to spend time with the kids. A lot of those boxes are ticked and then yeah probably in my world a lot of it is around now things that are maybe built or in play probably some of it is freedom from because you can get too attached to it um, I think for those of us that run businesses or have a job that we've put a lot of time and effort into or I think that's that's the real key part to it it's the sunk cost fallacy of mm. all right well I've gone and I've done this and I've built this thing and it allows me to live life in a certain way and I don't want to let go of that. Whereas that to me is where it becomes more of a freedom from kind of activity because if you get too attached to that, inevitably you're going to injure yourself with that mechanism anyway because you'll start making poorer decisions. You'll be holding on to it. You'll be playing a more scarcity or fear-based game and – eventually it ends up fizzling out. Like if you look at so many big companies that have suffered from that, they've gone down the route of innovation, they've built great things, those things have been successful and then they've spent the mm. next 10 years holding on to that rather than yeah. creating something new or evolving it. And like, I think if you look at Facebook, for example, that feels like yeah. a company a that example. is playing that game. Like, um. Whereas I think that's where Elon's probably a little bit different, where feels like he just
0: does whatever feels like a cool idea of the day. <laughs> and uh Do you see that uh Saturday Saturday night live monologue you oh, did? Yeah. Yeah, yeah It was yeah, actually yeah. really good. I was really impressed by it. It was a fair effort. Did you did, it, was, it was a good effort. I thought it was gonna be really bad, but it was actually really good. I I, yeah. I guess I had really low levels of expectation, but then it was like, wow, that's really good. Well, and I think this is, this is a really
1: interesting thing for Elon. Is uh, I was speaking to somebody about this the other day. Like, is Elon now nearly going too far with the celebrity and what he's doing with like crypto oh. and Bitcoin and sort of toying with potentially people's livelihoods? Like, like if you look at, mm. he's essentially replaced Donald Trump as the most powerful person <laughs> or the most the loudest voice on Twitter. Like, everyone just sits there looking for an Elon. Tweet. It's probably the opposite to how Trump was, <laughs> how Trump's tweets were viewed, because they were more, probably more viewed for the, the
0: drama around them. But Elon's tweets are literally changing markets. And yeah, it is. I, I
1: wonder if yeah. there's a risk. Anyway, we got well, that, that
0: recent there. tweet. That recent tweet yeah. where he did it about um, they're no longer accepting Bitcoin. Yeah. I mean, just just watching how that impacted the Bitcoin space was fascinating. Well, just Bitcoin in general. Like his his tweet a couple of months
1: ago where he said Tesla's going to accept yeah. Bitcoin probably was the main reason yeah. why or one of the main reasons why Bitcoin shot up. Then when he yeah. tweeted the other way, it, like he's controlling a market that's worth close to a trillion dollars or whatever it is. It's it's crazy. Uh,
0: well, I mean, that, that speaks to the point of what you're yeah. saying, right, is that I think a lot of the times when you focus too much on the freedom too, then you get yeah. can get trapped by that. Right, it's the, the the free. If you if you always want to maintain the freedom to be able to do everything you want to do, that is in itself a trap as well. That is in itself not freedom. Yeah, because if if you're fully attached to, I want the freedom to be able to buy whatever house I want. I want the freedom to be able to travel the world in business class anytime I want. I want the freedom to, and if you've got too many freedom twos, that in itself is not a not freedom because then you, you trap yourself because now you have to play the money game to be able to have the freedom to do those material things.
1: Yeah. Well, one of the, you know, the concept of freedom from really stuck out with you. One of the things that stuck out that's really, that I found related that related to this point was when he was talking about to him, freedom nowadays is a sense of peace. And feeling that sense of peace. And I think that's one. What like, what's your views on that? Do you find that in the the life that you're living that you can find those
0: moments of peace? I only find those peace, moments of peace when I'm super present in what I'm doing. So, to me, my moments of peace are when I take Xander to the play center, my son. And I sit there without my phone because I leave it in the car. So, when I sit in there with him, I... Just watch him play, and I'm just being there with him. Or I sit down the slide with him, and we slide together. I find peace in those moments when I'm super present. Or the most recent one was I was just up at my mum and dad's uh, on their kind of acreage, and and I was mowing the lawn, and I was about to put my AirPods in to listen to a podcast while I was doing it, and then my dad told me not to. And I was just on this ride on lower morn, uh, this lawn mower, the ride on lawn mower, and then I was just <laughs> mowing the lawn. And I felt so at peace. Yeah. I thought, wow, Like when, when's the last time I was just focusing on the thing that I was doing and nothing else? I'm always listening to something. I'm always doing something. So to me, peace is just when I'm one with the action that I'm taking. Yeah. And all I'm thinking about is the thing that I'm doing. And all I'm doing is the thing that I'm doing. And, and th- that, that connection makes me feel very peaceful in my mind. And I definitely don't have enough of that in my life. For sure. Uh, I think
1: uh, what you just hit on there, like listing real examples, like a cool exercise for people listening might be write down five to ten things that bring you peace and try to schedule them in.
0: Scary if you're saying five to ten things because I just named two and I think I just – completed my list
1: <laughs> uh, you'll have more like i'm sure when you're on the toilet you get 10 minutes to yourself that's no a peaceful moment. no i don't no dude it's not. when
0: i'm on the toilet i'm probably watching a youtube video or two or you're, i'm you're doing working. something <laughs> yeah. no, i'm not working i'm generally not working i'm generally just you're doing a keynote time <laughs> a virtual keynote anything's possible Bloop. oh man no no <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Oh, far out! That's awesome. Oh, no it's just—it just—you just made me think of something that was funny. I was—I this morning I was spending time in the studio here in, in the studio. You see now, I was uh, recording an online course, and then I did this really good stretch of content, and then a fart escaped, and I was like, "No, <laughs> I don't know why that. I was just." <laughs> well, I just, it was really weird. It Maybe it's the sign of getting old because I was moving around a lot. I was, you know, really engaging in my body language. And then all of a sudden it was just like, and then what you got to realize is, I was like, no. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, Craig, Craig, Craig please, mate, if you're listening to
1: this, please send me some of that footage and let's oh, distribute it's that as wide as we can.
0: No, I, I, I reshot it. So he won't even be able to have that footage, but I refilmed I re- it. But yeah, it was, it was just crazy. It was, um, it was a, quite a funny moment I had here in my studio by myself.
1: That's awesome. So we well, went from peace well, look, to I, fighting. That's brilliant. Well, I like it. I
0: think that's so important though. You're right. Yep. Find ways where you can find more of that peace because when yep. you have that peace, you have freedom from the noise of life. You have freedom from the anxiety that you might feel when you're thinking too much about the future. I think, yep. it's, it, it's, really, I think it's actually really important to find those moments where you can experience that peace. What about you? And when do you feel peace?
1: Yeah, well, just when you were talking about that, I think that's one of the things where things like journaling and meditating or exercising, you know, the the big ones that are the buzz, buzz remedies uh, these days. I do not then, feel
0: peace you know, when I'm exercising.
1: Yeah. yeah but but I, there's something in that though I think where – to me, quieting down the mind is a really important exercise that I've had to practice a lot over the last mm. five to 10 years, just because yeah. I, I can now get to the point where I could be, I've got greater awareness of when is this just monkey mind just being, you know, going off on its own tangent, or are these proper thoughts that need to be looked at and acted upon? And I think that that is it's really hard to get into a point of peacefulness when mm. the monkey mind is just dominating. Now there's different techniques to <laughs> get rid of the monkey mind. Um, people will have their own that they use, but that is such an important one. And it's so hard to stop it because it's like a, like a water slide, a hamster wheel that just keeps going. And then to slow it down takes a lot of conscious effort and work. I think mm. for, for most people So that to me is just, Nearly like the conditions of doing this exercise is getting into a position where you can quieten down your mind a little bit, in some shape or form, and then yeah, for me it's 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 the same things, the simple things. Like I think when we're doing something with people that we love, like our family, and you're present for sure. I think that that for most people would be the
0: number one. Yeah, where. Or when they're doing something they enjoy. I mean, one of one of my photographer friends, uh, his name is also Craig. He loves doing things with his hands, and in his spare yeah. time, he makes knives. Yeah. And he, he was telling me, oh, when I when I do this, you know, when I'm working with my hands, it's just time melts and fades away, and yeah. I I find myself not even thinking. I'm just all that I'm doing is the doing. There's no thinking almost. I thought, wow, that is so cool. I want to would love to yeah. find something like that. Yeah, and maybe let's just keep going through like a little bit of list
1: of stuff because I think that's good. Maybe you might even generate ideas for people where, like, I don't know, a couple for me, things like just walking to my local cafe, having a coffee. It's yeah, you love wall. that, don't you? Oh, uh, that's one of my favorite things. Playing a round of golf hmm. is a pretty big one because, again, <laughs> the funniest thing that I think you hit on before was it. It seems like places where you can find peace the mm. phone isn't an active part yeah, in that for activity. Sure.
0: For sure. It, the phone well, well, it's, it's like this. I'll give you another example. You know how we've got the light feature on our phone? Mm. So, so now your phone's become a torch. It's become a camera. It's become an emailing device. It's become a calendar. It's become everything. And as a result of that, it kind of embeds itself into your life in every single way possible. So I remember the other night I went out to start a fire just to do a little bonfire, and I was like, "Oh, I need, I need a light," and I was like, "No, damn you, phone! I'm gonna go find something that's just a torch that's not actually a phone." So I had to consciously make that decision in my head to leave the phone behind and find just the torch.
1: Because hey, if I bring that phone where's out, where's
0: the torch, Siri? <laughs> <laughs> but the, the the thing is, I I have to so consciously now eliminate it from my everyday tasks. I mean, the next thing, if, if, if this can be a knife as well, that's it. You're just going to carry it everywhere <laughs> because now, it, now it's my license. Now it's my credit cards. Now it's everything, yeah. right? So it's so hard. I have to consciously now go, no, no, no. I'm just going to bring my credit cards with me again. I'm going to bring my licenses with me again so I can actually find opportunities to leave that at home. Yeah. Because I think, I think, and I think most people who listen to this won't disagree with me that this is a huge problem that the more and more convenient the phone becomes, the more and more it embeds itself into your everyday life. And then when I went out to do the fire that night, I had a torch, and then all of a sudden I was able to completely disconnect.
1: Yeah It's,
0: it's a really <laughs> tough one
1: on the phone, because it's so crazy. Well and it's been a it's problem like if you for people to use years. It, it.: It's you know. like it nearly needs, you know, when we drive a car, there's rules, yeah. and you need a license. It's like we nearly need like a phone <laughs> license or the equivalent of it just for our own safety. Yeah, it needs like a your own sanity. It needs yeah. airbags. <laughs> it needs all these things where like the phone just turns off after it knows that I, it's not serving you
0: in the way that well, it I think, should be. But I think it's definitely beneficial for our lives. But we we need these blocks of times throughout the day where we're not using our phone. It's like one of the reasons I'll feel rejuvenated after even doing this talk with you, Ali, is that. I didn't go to my phone. Yeah, It's going to be a block of an hour or two hours where I didn't go to my phone. I'm going to feel great as a result of it. I think one of the most pragmatic ways you can help yourself find more peace or you can begin the process of finding peace is to find a couple of hours a day where you can just block out and just not have your phone. A couple of
1: cool little tips and challenges as well is using the Screen Time app on your phone. Mm. So so since we're on this topic, just because I know this is one that we've both kind of practiced a little bit, but might as well share some of the the tools we use, but there's things like you can look at if you've got an iPhone and I'm sure Android phones would have the same thing where there's a screen time app and try to challenge yourself. So if you're on your phone on an average of eight hours a day, see if you can reduce that to five hours a day or make some sort of reduction goal on that. There's also another one where it's the number of pickups, It gives you that. I know on iPhone, it gives you the number of pickups in that screen time app. And I remember mine was at like 60 or 70 or 80 or something like that a day. So, I'm like, all right, I want to maximize. I want to make sure that the maximum number of pickups I'd have a day would be 30. And I remember doing that. That's elite if you can get it to 30. (laughs) Yeah, it was pretty hard. And then sometimes like you'd bump the phone or something and it'd turn on it Count as a yeah, no, like, no, no. <laughs> I want it back, and then you're like, pick it up again. It's like, there's another one. It's like, no, <laughs> it's like, back. but just oh, those. Man. I think you can nearly gamify using some of the tools in the phone to help you reduce it less. I know one that we use that I use a little bit is do not disturb, and then mm. that's an awesome function because you can just set it so you only receive calls from people that are in your favorites, so mm. there's no. No interruptions. And if it really is an emergency, people can call your phone twice and then it mm. just will go through too. Uh, using airplane mode a little bit more, removing heaps of apps off your home screen, uh, making sure they're only like apps that are proactive that you're not being reactive to that are on your home
0: screen. I mean, one that you told me was the removal of the notifications was huge. Oh man, zero. That was huge. I mean, because when I used to look at my phone and I see all these little red numbers, yeah, like I have to check them now. Whereas now, when I look at my phone, none of my apps have any of those red notifications. None. So then I only look at it when I think of it. You know, oh, maybe I should check my emails this morning. Instead of it telling me to do it, I'm kind of being more intentional. That was a game changer for me.
1: And, and that's the thing is like every single app is gamified to, to yeah. mess with us. It's the really similar to, like, to the pokies because it plays mm. on, I can't remember the exact theory, but it's like random reward theory, which is the mm. thing that we're really looking for. And we need that dopamine hit. So it's the same reason why people will spend five hours at the pokies is pressing a button. Like logically, there's no reason that that's a good game, but mm. it does go to a deeper part of our brain. That loves that concept of having to take very little action but get some sort of treat reward, and I don't think anything's mastered it like what the phone has. For mm. us, well,
0: I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm being more like this is, you know, that's a part of my mental health, right? And I'm becoming more and more conscious of this to the point where I'm prioritizing it a lot now, and I mean, it just brings me to something that I remember reading in Naval's book where he says, you know, his priority of his 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 sequence of priority is first his physical health, then his mental health, then his spiritual health, then his family, then his businesses, etc. And I thought, wow, he is the first three priorities. Whereas when you ask most people, "What's your first priority?" most people will probably say their children. Yep. and that was a shifter for me because it made me go, "Well, I need to prioritize myself more first of all." And three of the you know the top priorities are actually just me. and, and it's funny how it's physical. Mental, spiritual, then family. And I just found that sequence to be really interesting. Yeah. And and it made me kind of reevaluate my, you know, mental health and and my spiritual health and my physical health. Because, you know, I'm trying to create for myself now hobbies that are more, you know, it's freedom. And in a sense, freedom from technology, freedom from noise. And and like I think you know, one of mine is camping. You, you, you probably don't know this, but I'm actually getting a custom trailer built yeah, I'm sure and it's going to be like, a, is,
1: have I told you that? Uh, no, nah, but I, I think ages ago you oh. were talking about looking into it, but I didn't know that you would now progressed.
0: Dude, yeah, on. I'm in the process of designing it now. And yeah, it's this awesome. custom trailer where it's a trailer you can hook onto any car. And then like on the bottom, there's going to be like a slide-out kitchen. There's going to be a refrigerator awesome. you can pull out. Then you, you lift it up and you pull this thing down. It's like a bench table. And then on top you put like a, a, a rooftop tent. It's going to be amazing. But to me, I'm, awesome. trying to create, I'm trying to create – I'm trying to create activities and things to be able to do with the people I love and care about most where I can unplug from technology to find that peace, so that I can look after my mental health more. And now I think I have to just become more aware of when I start to feel that burnout coming on or when I start to feel that kind of, oh, my mind is so cluttered that I have options like that to be able to go to. Whereas before my go-to move would have been, just push through it i didn't have an outlet to find that piece i didn't and i didn't prioritize my my mental health i definitely didn't prioritize that at all and I know, all that, my physical health yeah
1: like and we see it all the time where you'll see somebody that's really stressed or you can tell that probably isn't looking after those three aspects that well mm. but they'll have the narrative that everything that they're doing is for somebody else and yeah. there's i think people Help feel sacrifice. that sense of Like, yeah, people feel that sense. You know, we call it martyrdom nearly because anyone who's speaking to that person can tell that, well, yeah, that's awesome. It's really noble and admirable that you're you're thinking about other people, but we can still clearly see that you're not in that space. You know, so it's nearly the analogy of I'm going to be really angry and frustrated and worked up, but then I'm going to go be an awesome parent. Like how there's a conflict there. Where if you don't look after and people sometimes like, you know, the, I think the risk to the other side is it can be perceived as being selfish. You know, if you take time out for yourself mm. and you do all those things, self-care whatever. But I, I personally am just a massive believer that if if you're not in the best place that you can be, it's going to be really hard to be good for the external world and everyone around you. So, Taking that time just to reset and recalibrate and to refresh,
0: to me it's nearly it's one of the non-negotiables. Here's another thought. You know, we're talking a lot about for ourselves as well, which I think is very important. I've been thinking a lot about this, but also for my wife as well, Pei Wen. And since about two, three weeks ago, I started, you know, talking to her more about, oh, how about, you know, we plan you know, we do a lot of family stuff together, but how about we plan some daddy and Xander days where I get to take Xander out for three, four hours and you can just have time to yourself. So she has the freedom from her child, you know, and that, that, Mm. that I can tell you now has made her so much happier. And now since she's had more time to herself, she's been able to think about, well, what other things that she wants to do? And, and I'm so proud of her recently, she just started doing these bar classes, which are these kind of like, ballet type classes where you work with a bar and and it's amazing because as she started to prioritize herself more, and this is kind of me looking from the outside in, seeing someone have more time for themselves and being what some might call selfish, as she took better care of herself, she's been better as a partner. She's been better to Xander. She's been, not that she wasn't great before, but she's even better. And I just thought, wow, from the outside looking in, just seeing that Instead of from an internal point of view, but from an external point of view, was really inspiring. And then now she's like, oh, I want to do the bar class twice a week, maybe three where I can. And then you can start to see where, ah, that's what happens to people when they don't look after themselves after a while, is that they just fall apart. They now aren't motivated. They now don't want to exercise. Now they don't want to, you know, they they just completely fall victim to this, you know, just always drawn to the phone, for example. That's the result of what happens when we don't look after ourselves. For sure. And it reminded me of something
1: that Chantal and I did maybe, I oh, it would have been three, four years ago. And I think it's something that can happen with a lot of couples because, you know, we're, we're quite different. We like doing different things. And, and what happens, I think, when you've been in a relationship for a while is you start trading you know, when it nearly becomes a scarcity game where it's like, well, you know, you can't go out and do that because I can't go and do this. or And I think that's Mm. a really common thing. You know, it's like, well, no, no, you can't go do that Pilates class because I couldn't go and play golf or whatever it was, right? Like, And I just remember having that conversation with so many friends where it's like, yeah, you know, you've got to get tokens up and tickets up so I can go and do this activity. I remember Chantel and I sitting there one day and we're like, well, what if we just did both? You know, and why don't we do all of it rather than having to diminish the other person to feel like we're making some trade and we're allowing the other person to do this thing. Like let's live – our lives so that they're aligned with who we are and let's start doing all of it we'll we'll figure it out and one of the things because early on that was a little bit tricky one of the things that we did we were like oh well there might be 10 things that we want to do let's just pick three each i'm sure we can figure out a way to do three Mm. each to start with and then you get into the habit and then the same thing happened for us like what you're talking about where it's like oh well wow i just did that and i got really happy now i like you more I just did that. I, I feel free, and I got happier, and and then it's like, well, let's do more. Like, what else do you want to go do? Like, it starts nearly becoming its own little reward cycle, because there's no yeah. like fear yeah. or scarcity associated with it. So, I think that's a yeah, that was a really cool thing that you brought up. It was a nice reminder. I think. Well, it's
0: just. It's self-care for ourselves, and it's self-care for those we love. And then, the more we encourage those around us to look after themselves and, and have time for self-care, the better they're going to be with you. The better they're going to be with themselves, and just everyone wins, right? It's it's a win-win-win-win scenario. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I, I I love this other quote that that Naval talked about, where he said, "You know, the hardest thing is not doing what you want; it's knowing what you want." And I bring that up because when I was spending time. With Xander, when I spend time on my own and I'm just kind of spending my own time thinking, how often do we take time out to think about what we want? I think we we kind of assume that we should know what we want that that it's a thing that it's it's of course you know what you want it's you, but I don't think that's true. You know, it's actually really hard to know what you want, and and I bring this up again as well because we've had a couple of chats about what you know what's next for us, what's next for you. What are we doing in our next period of life? And it's actually really hard yeah. to think about what's next. Well,
1: I don't know if this is the same for you, but I found you know we we're talking earlier about the freedom to. Mm. To me, they were always a, like from a goal setting perspective. I think it's a lot easier to set goals when you want freedom too. But what I'm finding yes. now is Ooh, that's so true when we get more towards freedom from, it gets harder to set goals because- the Freedom from goals? Well, just newer things to like to take action on because so many of those things are ticked. Like I, I sometimes find myself, like, am I just creating goals just for the sake of having something to yeah. focus on rather than, say this. than being an actual inner desire because a lot of those boxes are ticked. But then the the flip side off that is boredom and that nearly you start getting a feeling of lack of purpose nearly if you're not doing enough. You know, so that was when you were mentioning that before and you're like, oh, well, maybe it is the key not playing any games at all. I actually don't think it is. I think you it's- Yeah, I get bored. Yeah, you get too bored because then it's that- I think so. It's maybe a cycle. Like I remember you and me speaking about this when we were together last time and we were saying that it's, it's a bit of both. Like we need to fill our cups and then we need to empty them and then you fill mm. them and then empty them and
0: that's kind of the cycle. Well, well it's, it's, it's like let's, let's use the gaming with? analogy. We'll use the gaming analogy, right? You, you can't play games all day. Otherwise, you'd lose your damn mind and your eyes would get sore. And then, you know, so it, it's about learning how to play games and then not play at all. And then tomorrow, play again, right? So, if you, if you kind of take that analogy, it's like, don't play games all day. Play games for a good solid three, four hours. Have a good time. Play different games. Maybe leave that game and then go play another game. But then also have a period where you're not playing at all. Yeah. So, it's the ability to switch games and it's the ability to switch off the gaming console. I think those are the key skills we need to learn. First of all like you said it's about choosing what game having clarity on what games you want to play I think that's hard as well yeah but then also and then it's also designing the game yeah because it well it is
1: you can you can play games and then you can finish them and you can clock them but then it's really and creating hard to your own and game design. yeah well or like finding another game that you really love like if you <laughs> you go back just to the video game analogy like when you we game a little bit, and mm. I can think back over the last ten or twenty years. There's probably five games that I really, really loved playing. Wow, you I can played- name
0: five. I can, I can name like three at most. Fifty, right? Like which, which, which one? Which one are for you? Which we, which, which are your favorite games? Oh, I, I
1: love the, I love the Assassin's Creed games. Okay, when when they first yeah, came Vikings out, they good. were, they were like the first couple of those were awesome. Uh, what else? I always love sports games, so I love games like FIFA and NBA, uh, Grand Theft Auto. All those, oh, yeah. rock yeah, Rockstar games are always good. <laughs> but anyway, we digress. We go into a gaming.
0: <laughs> and just little- just just in case those those of you who are curious, mine are League of Legends, World of Warcraft, and Zelda: Breath of the Wildfire. That's awesome. Two of them yeah, are really big
1: those, online. That suits you. Yeah. You love playing yeah. the, being out there with the people. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, I mean, I think a really cool point of clarity that I just got from us talking about this is that it's about, well, first of all, it's choosing what games you want to play. And hopefully you're playing a game you want to play, because I think the worst thing is being in a game you don't want to play. I mean, imagine playing a game that you hate. So, so for me, it'd be, imagine I was playing a game like Animal Crossing oh, man, everyone told me that was such a good game. I played it for a bit. I was like, oh, this is hell. I hate this game. So imagine getting stuck in a game that you hate. I I think the first thing to do is, well, try your best to get out of that game, play a game you actually want to play. But then it's about having a variety of games as well. I think it's important to have a nice variety of games that you like to play, but then also now having really important times where you're not playing. Because Uh, only when you like it's it's it is only when you're not playing games that you miss playing the game and then you want to play again otherwise if you're playing the whole time it gets a bit boring after a while I think i
1: I just love what you're talking about on this game concept and another one where there's maybe a practical aspect to this is write down 3 to 5 games that you're currently playing at the moment and yeah put some commentary around them like what was what was fun about the game when you first started playing what do you love about the game what do you not like about the game? Do you want to keep playing the game? And then- Can you make it it more fun somehow? Yeah. Can you make it more fun? Like then you've got another little toolkit because Mm. the beauty of thinking about it like a game, it depersonalizes it again. You can look at it from the balcony view of being like, Mm. because if you're, I'm marketing manager at X, your identity is too tied to it. But if you can then view it as a game, like I'm Mm. playing the game of marketing manager at this place, (laughs) do I want to keep playing it? How am I playing it? Could I play it better? Just removes that little bit of friction. I can't remember if it was in this book or not, but so much of the things that hold us back, I think it might have been in this, it writes about that, is that so much of the things that hold us back is related to our ego and our identity. It's really Mm. hard to make good objective decisions that are based in reality when you're too connected to it and you're wishing for something to be a certain way. But this happens... Uh, in the business world, all the time, where it's like, oh yeah, post pandemic, I'll just wish for it to get back to this way. Or you, yeah, you just like if a couple of things go that. And the reality is, is that there's something right now in the real world that might not be ready to accept or acknowledge and to reflect on. Say so a real key part of that is detaching from it. That's why advisors and people that are external sometimes are so important because they can help you see things a little bit more objectively too.
0: And and when you kind of see it as a game, it allows you to have more fun with it too. Uh, An example I can give everyone is, you know, one of the games I'm currently playing is I'm, I'm playing the online course game. I'm going to start playing that game or currently playing. I'm in production of an online course right now. And, I remember going into the game, being very serious about it. I was like, oh, you know, I can't wait to get this. This is a very important piece of the puzzle for me right now. And I got a bit too serious. And 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 I remember Craig called me out and just said, hey, man, dude, you should you should have a bit more fun with it. And then I started doing things that were more fun in the online course. You know, there was a bit where midway through a lesson, I'll just play out a mini 15 second skit, you know, and it's just like, oh, that's so fun. That just made it so fun again. And it made me, it just, my creativity was kind of exploding and and I loved it. So it's about, I think it's about, like what you said, write down some of the games that you're currently playing and just re-evaluate them. How can you make the games more fun? You know, what can you do to make the games more enjoyable? Like, again, it's not always about finding a whole new game. It's about there are ways to make the existing games more fun as well, and you play it your way. And I love using fun as one of the benchmarks. Like I think so. If you haven't
1: laughed or enjoyed yourself or had joy or – had some playfulness in the games that you're playing. It's not a game anymore.
0: Yeah, it's a job.
1: Or, yeah, <laughs> it's it's a chore or it, yeah. something different. And I think that's a really cool way, another little mental model or a decision-making tool to use. It's like, well, how long has it been since I've had fun and mm. enjoying this? And and I think that that could happen in. It could be in relationships. It could be in work. It could be in hobbies. Can be in so many different aspects of life where we can use that
0: as a little tool. It's cool, and 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 look, it's possible, right? I I just did a training for a client of mine in Singapore, and he was the manager, uh, the GM, and he he said, "Oh, Vin, look, I I, I need to make work more somehow. I need to make it more lively because it's become so monotonous." And one of the simple things I told him was I said, hey, why don't you buy an an improv book with improv games? And at the start of every meeting for five minutes, your meeting goes for an hour, you know, use 10% of that time, less than 10% of that time to play a couple of improv games. And then he actually did it. And now five minutes before his meeting, he just goes, hey, everyone, let's just do a quick improv game. And like one of the improv games was you take a ball, you throw it to someone on the virtual Zoom session. When they catch it, they have to make a sound. And when they throw it to someone else, they have to use a different sound to throw the ball. And he's like, and I remember him telling me when we were doing this. He goes, "Vin, at the beginning it felt ridiculous, but now this is the one thing we all look forward to the most. And now that just starts the meeting off in a fun way, and, and now everyone's just having fun. And and it doesn't have to be dramatic like that. I find simple ways, because I remember when I first told him about the idea, he just like, no, no, no I, you know, I can't have fun at my work. It's, just, I can't do it. <laughs> you can, you absolutely can. It's just maybe you've. You're so ingrained in doing this a certain way that it's it's stopped your ability to think outside the the box. Now, and it's and it's totally so possible to have fun,
1: yeah. Especially in workplaces, it feels like, especially if the venture or the business isn't succeeding, it's nearly the culture becomes
0: of mm, one really where you can't
1: be perceived to be having fun because mm, that's the a business good point. isn't winning. Whereas I actually think that they they compound each other and the less fun everyone's having, the the more stressed they are, mm. it probably has a negative impact on that entity. Whereas if you can ingrain that fun into it some way, shape or form, like, like for us, we're lucky we, we work in golf. But one of the things that we realized was, well, we, we do this because we're passionate about it. And the fundamental thing that we all love is actually playing golf. And, Loving the game of golf. It's like, well, we need to make sure that we're doing that. You know, and we, so most of our meetings nowadays, if we can, we'll try to tie them together with nine holes of golf for getting out there, especially after the pandemic year, where it's like, well, why not? Why not go out to a partner course, see how they're going? You can tick so many more boxes
0: rather than meeting in a room or doing that because at the end of the day, just chatting. And then the beautiful thing about that as well is, you know, as you do things like this, or as one of my clients starts doing this as a GM, you're making yourself more unique as an individual as well. Yeah. I mean, how many people can you name right now that has fun while they work? Yeah. And I think the more fun you can introduce, and I love the idea of fun so much, because this is something that Naval talks about as well, is that when you can turn your work into play, no one else can compete with you. No. Well, even, even from a management perspective,
1: you don't really have to do too much conventional management. Mm. Like if I look at us with Future Golf over the last seven years, I would say management time would take up less than 1% to 2%. That's crazy. Just because, A, the the people box is ticked where you've got trust Mm. and, you know, that everyone's aligned, they're loving what they're doing, They've got that component there. You know that the human factor off those people is ticked as well. They're people that are responsible, just good humans that you would want to work with for ages. So it's, again, ticked. Um, you've got people that are passionate about the space, that are passionate about the vision. Like So you get all those things in. The management really just becomes more strategic and tactical where it's around all right, well, what decisions need to be made what are we actually going to be working on? Who's going to do it and deliver it? Like there isn't much more than that other than a little bit of collaboration and then planning and review. And when you can get it to that point from from a management perspective, it becomes really enjoyable because mm. you can, it doesn't mean that the result's always going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that you have to not make hard decisions and change things up, but it ticks that one box. Whereas – you're not sitting there worrying about, oh, is that person doing 10 hours every day or eight hours every day? Is that person working on what they're meant to be working on? Is that person fully engaged or are they looking for another job right now? Like it's – I think it can offset some of those those boxes.
0: It just goes again to show the importance of fun and play, right? Because if people are having fun and they're playing – they're less likely to be looking for that other job. They're less likely to be slacking off because they're enjoying what they're doing. So again, just, I just think it, it really does push the point of the importance of play and, and you know find maybe it's even important for you to write down ways to have more fun in the way that you work. I mean, for me, definitely. I mean, one of the benchmarks that I put into the online course now is how fun was the course? You know, how fun was it? Even in my virtual classes, I, I I throw people to breakout rooms and I push them out of their comfort zones to have fun because to me, like you mentioned earlier, Ali, I think it should be a, a stat that we track. It's funny. I took my son to, uh, I'm currently shopping around for schools and we're going to different schools and doing school tours. And they've, you know, they benchmark how many of their students got, you know, what ATAR they got, what score out of 100 they get when they when they finish high school. Mm-hmm. And they do all these different benchmarks for sports, extracurricular activity. I'm like, where's the, where's the fun <laughs> benchmark, man? Like none of the schools had a fun benchmark. None of them had a freaking meter for fun. And I think one thing I really want to make sure I, I encourage with my son and, and my other children, you know, as I have them and they grow up is we've got to have fun in life. We're going to find lots of ways to have more fun. And I think children are a great way to remind ourselves as adults the importance of needing to have fun. Because I, I, I just want to bring back to my point before that the more fun you have and the more you play, the more that I play in my online course, the more unique this online course will be. And I believe the more successful it will be because so little people give themselves permission to play. And in a way that's, that's so, so many people don't give themselves permissions to, to to be themselves. And the more you play, the more you're willing to be yourself. I think the more unique become, the more unique you become and then the more valuable you become as a result.
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, you just made me think of something a lot. Over the weekend, we had a really awesome family sort of weekend. Um, Sunday's all about Marcel, my son's soccer, and he's really getting into that. It's still early in the season, but we're now getting to know a lot of the other parents and all of that. So so we, he played his match in the morning, and then after the match, one of the uh, the other dads, he had like 10 tickets to an A-League game, which is Australia's like professional soccer league to, to go to the mm. game. And, and then, so the boys went, the three of us dads who went down to the game and they just had an awesome day out. And then we got home and then we're sitting in the car and Marcel looks at me. He's like, why can't, why can't every day just be like that? You know, like <laughs> why why do I have to go to school tomorrow That's beautiful. and like oh. learn stuff and then do things that I don't want. When I know that I just want to play soccer every day, I want to just hang out with my friends. I want to have fun. I want to spend time with you and then do all these things. And, I was sitting there, and I'm like, I don't have I've got no answer. Really, <laughs> I've got no good answer. I've got like the normal answer that I can give you, which is essentially just because well, everyone goes to school, and you have to go to school, and that's just the way the world is. <laughs> like, there, there's but there, there was no answer that could offset because I could see how much fun he had that day, mm. and he was right. Like, why? Why can't? Every day be like that. But I think we we nearly train ourselves over time. And then he asked, like, I heard him this morning asking my wife a question. He's like, why isn't school like kinder? Kinder was way more fun. (laughs) And she's like, do you realize you'd actually spend more time at kinder than you do at school? He's like, no, I didn't even realize that because I was having so much more fun because we're just playing and we're doing activities and didn't have to learn, like, certain things that are just prescribed for no reason. So I think that there's something interesting there in the way that you know. I'm not saying that school isn't important. I'm obviously a big fan of education. I think that education overall is amazing, and the way that it's set up, it's a
0: difficult thing to do as a, a well, system it, anyway. It, but it's something but that needs to are, be innovated. I know that's for sure. Well, it's, it's a system like a that's six, old. Six seven year
1: old that go to school, like they go to this institution, for thirty well, hours a week, forty hours a week learning things
0: that they don't really have context around why they're learning it. It's weird. Do you know what you just made me think of? You made me think of, imagine there was a kid that people were willing to, you know, this is going to sound weird, but you put them through an experiment, right? And you actually have them live a life where every <laughs> day they just love what they do. This is going to
1: sound weird.
0: Yeah. But imagine you put them to an experiment and then every single day of their life up until they're 18 was a day like your son described. Yeah. A day where they're doing things with people they want, they absolutely love that, habit, have a bunch of fun. I wonder if that would actually turn out to be amazing or do they turn out to be like a complete deadbeat and and end up failing in life and not learning any of life's good skills? Here's my it's theory. Just, and yeah. It really
1: annoys Chantal, my wife, because she's a teacher. So I'm going to be oh, careful course, okay. when, I, when, I, when <laughs> I say this because she's obviously a very big believer of the system, whereas mm. I always grew up like I, I struggled with school really badly. I could just never conceptualise the point of a lot of the things that were happening and Mm. why we were learning them and why things were done a certain way. It's like, well, if if the goal is to educate us and to make us learn, I'm like, this isn't hitting the box, right? And I just felt like that a lot when, when I was going through it. But my attitudes changed and by the end of my schooling career, I got into it and played the game that you had to because that was reality. But, yeah, I think- I think you're right there where, where it hasn't really been truly innovated for a very long time. Mm. And and I think that there's a real big concept there about diminishing returns. Like, yeah, it's really important that all kids need to learn, you know, like reading and numeracy. Or well, the social, social skills social that are skills. involved. Well, the social yeah. skills, I think, are the biggest thing. Yeah, I Because think so that's too. the thing that's really hard to replicate. Like if you did- our ex- this experiment of the passion-based stuff, that broader-based or social skills, it'd be really hard to replicate that where mm. you've got your child in an environment with 25 other people from different backgrounds, different cultures in a, in a learning environment, working as a team, collaborating, growing, doing all of those bits and pieces. I think that's the thing that's really hard to replicate. But surely if you're five or six years old or eight years old, can you really learn actively for eight hours a day?
0: Yeah, no way. Because I don't
1: think I could as an adult. Like, if you yeah, put me, me somewhere for five days a week, where all I had to do mm. was learn stuff, and then at the end of the week, you ask me, What did you learn? I could probably name two or three things. It's <laughs> like, well, Good point. Why are we doing it to the kids? I don't know. Yeah, we digress not <laughs> well,
0: well well no i mean i i i i mean you're making me reflect a lot even on my career as a speaker i think one of the reasons why my career as a speaker i became fairly successful in that realm is because i brought fun into mm-hmm. a keynote presentation which generally you know is motivating is inspiring but it's not often fun yeah right well, whereas what i was able to bring to the keynote experience was a lot of fun, I brought a lot of you know magic is in itself it's fun, you know it brings out your inner child, and I'm bringing grown adults from all different types of industries on stage, and we're just having fun and we're laughing and you know th- they often feedback is, oh wow, that just went by so quickly you know and and it and I remember going through that experience going wow i i th- I thought adults would hate fun, I thought that this was a this was a conference on you know, on auditing. I thought, I thought the last thing you'd want to have <laughs> is, is fun here. But the thing is, people loved it. And, and you see people laughing, enjoying themselves. And it just goes to show that just because you're an adult, it doesn't mean you don't need fun in your life. I think because we're adults, we need fun in our lives. Because chances are, we've gone through an extended period of time without fun, without play. Think
1: back to your teachers and the best teachers that you would have had growing up. They either would have had a combination of being able to connect with you in some way, shape or form, or they were the funny teacher.
0: Yeah, definitely. The
1: the one that played around. Yeah, Mm. To me, I can only ever think of like a handful of teachers and they either gave Mm. me a really profound life lesson that was aligned to me at that point in time, uh, but that was also based on a level of connection that we had because that trust was built or – they were just a blast to hang out with. And then you respected them because they brought that enjoyment into the learning environment. Like I do not remember, I'm sure I had a lot of really
0: smart teachers. Don't remember Mm. any of them. Yeah. And, and well, I think this links really nicely to what really impacted me in this book is that when you have a lot of fun doing something, you're going to be able to learn it better. Right. So if you're able to, so your son, he loves soccer. If you made me play soccer, I hate it. I'm not going to really, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to enjoy it. Right. But when he's playing soccer right now, he's learning a lot and he's learning at a very fast pace because he loves it. And the more you love something, the more you play with something, the more you learn about it, the more specific knowledge you build. So, I mean, one of the areas that Naval talks about in this book is specific knowledge. The more specific knowledge you have in an area, the more valuable you become. So your son right now, because of his love and intensity for soccer, he's, he's building a very, he's building a lot of specific knowledge in soccer, which is one day going to make him very valuable. And it may not just be as a soccer player because he may start building specific knowledge in another area. Maybe it's art. And then imagine combining the specific knowledge you learn in soccer with art. You create something unique from that. And and I love what Naval talks about because he goes, the more specific knowledge you have, the, the more you're going to get paid in the future. And whether that be with, you know, paid with opportunities, paid with money, paid with great relationships, you know, it's it's something that I don't think we think about because when you pair play with specific knowledge, I think that's when you build really intense specific knowledge because play doesn't feel like work or learning. So you can do more of it for longer periods of time. Meaning you're going to become highly valuable at one, some point in your life. Love that. And just adding on that point, I think it goes
1: really nicely with another one that he mentions there, which is around keep defining yourself until mm. you're the best in the world at something that you do. And I love that concept yeah. because it doesn't mean that it's just about specializing in one field. It could be connecting yeah. heaps of different dots that you've got, and I'm a big believer in this. I think everyone's unique. There's something that we can all be pretty close to the best in the world at. Now, it might be the best in the world at Snake, the game Snake on your Nokia 3210 phone, or it could be public speaking whatever it is, but there'll be a combo there of little things where I'm sure if you collected all those dots, you've got a unique point of value.
0: I've got one. I've got one. I just realized what I am. I am probably the... I'm probably the world-leading expert in how to become a keynote speaker and mixing magic into your message. I don't know anyone else who does that at my level. I don't know anyone who else who does that that has built the career that I've been able to build. It's so, or maybe there high. is. I don't know about, but again, I think I'd be top top three easy.
1: Yeah. See, that's amazing. If you want to learn see- how to,
0: you know, yeah, if you're a magician and you want to learn how to become a great keynote speaker, you probably can come to me and I can, I have the form, a formula on how to do that. So I have that specific knowledge.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: But amazing. again, that, that's pretty unique, right? It's, it's an entrepreneur who was a magician who then became a speaker and combined all of it together. So again, it's, it's, it took a few layers, but I think if you can spend time on writing down what areas are you. Or what areas do you have specific knowledge on? And the key is how do you combine them? Yeah, Because when you combine different areas of specific knowledge, that's when now you're playing a game that no one else can beat you in.
1: It's true. Yeah. And even just those exercises of just writing down all the different things that you're good at, that you've spent a lot of time learning about, that you spend a lot of your attention on. It'll paint some sort of picture around – what you are like I can't I can't define mine that well that I haven't spent enough time doing it like you just did there. I love how you were able to do it in a sentence. Like that's so specific mm. and on point. But I'm probably at the level where I can define a lot of different dots where I think I've got an advantage over a significant portion and then combining those into different things. Whereas yeah, mine, mine's probably a little bit more fluid. In the way that I use it, it's a combination of what like negotiating, learning, reading, collecting information, timing—I don't know—but then collecting that into into something.
0: One Some other thing, clear I would wanted- somewhere. Yeah. Well, it takes time for it to become clear. For sure. it takes time, and and one of the great things about building that specific knowledge is, and then combining it all together is you know, this is kind of, it can seem as if if it's a bit of a humble brag and it kind of is, but I wanted to share some of the results from it, right? Is that right now I'm one of the trainers for Microsoft's induction process. So Microsoft, they have an induction process each year. They call it the Aspire program and they bring in thousands of new recruits every year. I think it's like four to 5,000 new recruits every year. And I'm one of the trainers in charge of training them every year. And I train them in the area of communication. And it's not because I'm the best magician in the world. It's not because I'm the best communication teacher in the world or expert in the world. It's not because I'm the best keynote speaker in the world, but combine those things together. And I'm kind of the best at that game when you combine all of those things together, right? Mm-hmm. And when you can build that kind of specific, no- specific knowledge, again, I- I'm tr- I'm training thousands of people around the world from South Australia, Adelaide. And when you think about, a lot of the times, you know, when when other Australians hear about that, the fact that you're from Adelaide, they're like, oh, it's so sad. How boo-hoo, poor you, you're from Adelaide. You know, they kind of look down in Adelaide because they say, well, Adelaide doesn't have a lot of opportunity. It's not thriving like Melbourne, it doesn't have culture, it doesn't have good coffee, you know, and oh, you're not like, at least you have no York. chip on your shoulder about this. <laughs> you're perfectly cool with it. <laughs> I'm, doing, I'm, I'm not upset by it. I don't hate you, you know, but but it's. um." <laughs> It's funny I say that I have a knife here as well. I'm not I making any Adelaide jokes <laughs> because
1: I like I like a lot of people in Adelaide, but I yeah. do want to tease you right now. But I'm not. Well,
0: yeah, you shouldn't. <laughs> shouldn't. Well, but but I say this because I, I'm able to do this from South Australia, despite you know some of the 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 things that people think of, of South Australia, and I'm able to do it because when you are able to build that specific knowledge and you can become unique. It doesn't matter where you are, what postcode you're from, your background, it doesn't matter. People will find you. Opportunity finds you. However, it's only until you build that specific knowledge and you become unique. Otherwise, you know, if I just focused on being the best communication coach in the world, the best communication expert, I mean, what is that? I mean, what is the best communication coach? You can't define it. I think what makes best is a diverse range of things. I think diversity is a very important ingredient in best. Because if I'm just great at teaching communication skills, there are so many other people that do that. Now, if I can build this online course that is an online course that is the most humorous, the most engaging, the most entertaining online course that teaches communication, yeah, maybe I'm going to be able to stand out way more with that. Yeah. So I think in times when you find yourself struggling especially if there's you know competition in your space think to how can I build specific knowledge and bring it together in a way that that will help me become more unique and and I mean that because I've done it and I've gotten great results from it yeah. you know I'm not, I'm not just saying it from reading somebody else's philosophy and go oh I think that is good no I I've I've, I've I've adopted this and I've done it and it works
1: Well, I think just having being able to define something in a sentence as clearly as what you did, Mm. that's a really important skill too because I remember we we spent like a year even doing it with our business when it was four or five years into it. It took so long just Mm. to think about what the the vision statement was and the mission statement was and to actually hone that in. Like we knew what we did and we knew all the different Mm. aspects of the product and the service, but then to pull it all together And then be like, oh, well, out of the last five years, all the things that we've built, this is now what it is. And this is what it can be for other people. That's a really tricky exercise.
0: Mm. Uh,
1: And that's why very few companies have a really inspiring vision statement that doesn't feel generic or like a throwaway line. And Mm. like, yeah, it took us ages to realize at that point that our vision was to build like the biggest community and the most engaged community of younger golfers. You know, now for us, it's non-traditional golfers. But it's clear then to everyone that that's what we're about, eh, to the marketplace, to the partners, to the stakeholders. And I think that's a real big advantage that you've got is when you're competing against another thought leader who says, I'm the foremost expert in communications training, and then they ask a follow-up question, well, what does that mean? They're like, "Uh, uh, I don't really know. Whereas you can you straight off the bat can combine it with two to three four different elements that i'm sure gives you a competitive advantage when you're in any of those meetings that's awesome so
0: cool i think if we bring all everything what we said together together uh, together so far <laughs> the whole idea of together together
1: actually it's I like funny Double together. i
0: love i taught i taught my son how to say the word together recently and he loves <laughs> the word so he's he's always like you know play together and i was like oh that is together. so cute close together <laughs> You know, it's just, it's always that melody and I love it. I love it. No, but if if we bring it together, together.
1: If he comes up and says it like that, it's the best. Oh, you you play. Oh, you play. Yeah. You play. You you play.
0: play. Anyone's play. You play. Anyone's play. Yeah. (laughs) So let's bring it. If we bring it together, together, together. Together. It's if together. Together? If we, if we can, if we can bring together the idea of play specific knowledge and different areas of specific knowledge and you kind of bring all that together, it's now I can't think it's, it's just weird saying that we're together now. However, if we do bring it around within proximity of each other, (laughs) so it's whole, it's yeah. So then it becomes a whole, it's really, I feel like that is such a power move. Uh,
1: That's one of I the most profound things that
0: you've said. The worst, the worst worst <laughs> delivery of
1: your entire career. When we look back on this, we're like, this wasn't been like a week
0: or two into his speaking oh, career. Gosh. This was him. This was him at the top of his game. No, no this is yeah. This is past his prime. <laughs> past his prime. When as I'm building this online course and I allow myself to play in it far out, I'm having way more fun. And I feel like I'm building a way more unique product. And I believe that when I launch the product, it's going to do so much better because I had fun and I was able to bring in different areas of specific knowledge.
1: It's and such a power. you won't care bro. as much. You won't care as yeah. much about the external response to it because mm. internally you'll be like, how much fun did Craig and I have building this thing? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like, like, like that's going to be – that'll be the bit – that you look back on. And I think that's where it's so important. Like, I think Naval says it as well is when it doesn't feel like work and you do it anyway,
0: Mm. that's when you're onto something. How does, how do do other people compete against you? Yeah. How how how, how do other people compete against you when it feels like work to them, when they feel like they're grinding and you're over here just playing? Like how frustrating would it be? if you're competing against – I'm just trying to think about it in my own head. Imagine you're competing against someone. You're working your ass off and you're doing the whole, I'm hustling for 16 hours a day, and then the other person's just over there just having fun. Yeah. Oh, wow. I'd hate them so much. I'd be like, well, damn, you. Yeah.
1: There's – in world soccer football at the moment, There's for the last 10 years, there's been two players that are pretty much universally at the top of the game. Like Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo was one of them, and then the other mm-hmm. one's Lionel Messi. And the debate will rage on forever, like who's the greatest, and but two of the greatest players of the generation. And I was watching these interviews with other players talking about the two players and every sentence it was like, well, Ronaldo is just amazing. He's the hardest worker. Like he's he's elite with the effort that he puts in. And then everyone else is like, Messi just does things that we've never seen before. Yeah, And then one of the players put it the best. He's like, Ronaldo is the best of the humans. And then Messi is not from this planet. <laughs> and I'm like, that is the, the wow. greatest analogy. And I think Messi's got that thing where it's just kind of natural and he's it makes it like I'm sure he works really hard and he does the same things, but it makes it feel like he's just having fun, that he's got a playfulness to it, that he's got humility behind him and all of these things. Whereas and to the others that maybe watch it, they're just like, well, that's the most ridiculous thing that I've ever seen
0: bring elon musk back into the example often you hear people say that elon musk is an alien that he's not from this world and it's because he has fun he's got the boring company he's making flamethrowers and he's freaking making tunnels under the ground and then he's got a spacex company then he makes electric cars and now he's doing stand-up comedy right it's that i think when you see someone having fun and following their interests in a way that's playful it kind of I think a lot of the times, because we don't have much play in our lives, when we see other people playing, it it, it pisses us off a little bit, you know. Yeah. Kind of like, oh, well, damn, that person they're having fun, you know. And then then we, it's easy for us to just shit on those people and go, oh, you would, you know, th- they're not taking their job seriously. Yeah. And it's, it's so funny. Hey, we we kind of like, we we go, oh, a, a career or a profession always has to be serious. And and look, I think there are times, of course, where you have to be serious, but there are times when you can play as well. Uh, another line from the Vowels book is that you, you can escape competition by being authentic. You can escape competition by having fun. I love that. What what a great tool to be able to escape competition with, instead of just I can beat my competition with price or you know improve the value proposition, or you can beat the competition by having more fun. I remember that we went to a restaurant one night here in South Australia, and when we went to the restaurant. The staff were having fun with each other. You know, one waiter came out, poured the water for everyone, kind of accidentally spilt the water. And, you know, <laughs> they immediately teased each other a little bit. And then it took a moment that could have upset the patrons to a moment where you'd notice them having fun and then now you're infected with the fun as well. Mm. No, it's just, yeah, you, you, you can really beat competition with being more you and having a little more fun. Yeah, you know, a lot I of this. think this- I love this, this topic. This- this this podcast for us is it has to be multi episode it can't just be one because i i I have to go in and have lunch with my family now, but i don't want i don't want to end this podcast so can we do this as a multi episode let's do it as a two be continued why not two be it. continued so one
1: <laughs> let's do it well, awesome
0: let's uh, let's do it to be continued on this point of fun we will connect this to the next episode, and I just don't want my wife to come out and and start shanking me before I end I this episode. You've got a knife there, though. So you've got some protection. I do. But, I I, I, but she has win. a bigger knife. She yeah, has a bigger knife. With, yeah. She'll
1: come in with more. I know, Wen. she'll come in with more weapons. And then you'll be... <laughs> <laughs> this will become an MA-rated but but you, episode. you, do, like do you know live do you on, know on what camera. Have, Imagine that. No. You have, like, death. It oh, just gosh. happens live on camera. And I'm just watching it. <laughs> And I'm like, hi, Pei Wen. <laughs> She's like, <laughs> Hey, just sorry, another Ali day didn't... at the Zhang family household. Yeah, yeah. She's like, sorry, I didn't realize you were there. Can you just edit that out? And I'm like, sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, but you know, you know what her main weapon is? Delicious food. I can smell oh, it right now. So food. I gotta she does oh, make that food. Well, look, right. thanks everyone for joining us for this episode. <laughs> I'm a flight. What do you have? Vin uh, fortunately has to go eat yummy food. Now she's, oh, well, I'll tell you quickly. She made congee with lots of different condiments. So that's one of the, my favorite things is when I'm recovering, because I'm just getting better from a cold. My favorite thing for recovery is congee with like six or seven different dishes. Oh, variety. It's the death of me. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Naval's book. We will join you again for the second part of this book because there is, we've gotten about a third of the way through of the things I want to talk about. So looking forward to seeing you all again soon. And thanks for joining us for the Vin and Ali podcast. Hi, hello, it's Vin. Thank you so much for listening to the Vin and Ali show. We've created something that we're really excited about and we want to share it with you. It's called Recalibrate. It's a 12-step process that helps you create more clarity and more alignment in your life. It's the exact approach that both Ali and I have been using to live happier lives and to achieve all of our wildest dreams in the last seven years. It's been crazy. Being one of our loyal listeners, we wanted to share a special something with you. Visit recalibrate.online forward slash Vin and Ali to access the course for 70% off. I hope you will check it out.